Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. the scripture was read, I'll try to touch from verse 14 to 36. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, please open it to that to John 7 and follow along. There were many puzzling questions about Jesus in this time that still exists today as it did then when it comes to his teaching, his claims, and the miracles he did. The pilgrims attending the Feast of the Tabernacle asked the question in verse 14 of chapter 7, where did this man get such learning without being taught. Many of the festivals were amazed and astonished of Jesus' knowledge, for he had not received any formal training in the prescribed rabbinic schools. In today's term, he had not been to seminary or been ordained by any formal ecclesiastical body. And since they could not refute his teaching, they questioned his credentials. In Jesus' response, his knowledge did not come from any institution, but his knowledge came from God. Neither his teaching for personal fame, as his brothers misunderstood and misjudged him but only to bring the glory to the one who sent him, and therefore his teaching, his claim came from the Father. In John 6.57, just as the living Father sent me, and he went on to say, added more to that, and then in 7.16, my teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. Now, Jesus went further with what was bothering them. And, with a challenge, and he challenged them. Anyone who chooses to do the will of the Father will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak of my own. In other words, if People would humble themselves before God's word, where his will is revealed. They would come to a sure realization that his teaching is true. He says, whoever speaks of their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. So this is going on between 
Jesus and the pilgrims as they, they go to the Feast of the Tabernacle. So Jesus is saying to them, look at the evidence and judge me in the correct way. However, you circumcise a boy child on the eighth day if it falls on the Sabbath. But if I heal the man on the Sabbath, you call it wrong. I broke the law. When none of you kept the law Moses gave you. All of you broke the law. And they didn't like that. They responded. Jesus said to them, so stop trying to kill me. They responded, you are demon possessed. Who is trying to kill you? The intention of the religious leaders were indeed to take him out. They were to take him out. In 7.1 it reads, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. So in verse 25, Jesus overheard the pilgrims' conversation. They were talking about him. The pilgrims, being aware, the religious leaders wanted to kill him. And they were amazed that he was still getting away teaching publicly at this feast, which was a, something the rabbis do. Anywhere they go around, they do teach. They asked one another, isn't this man they are trying to kill? Have the authorities convinced that he is the Messiah? In verse 27, if you're following along, they concluded with a logical answer. They said, but, that's in contrast to what Jesus is telling them, we know where this man is from. And since they know his background, they assume that he meant he could not be the Messiah. They concluded, when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Church, there will always be puzzling questions when it comes to who Jesus is, even among believers. Not only Jesus' half-brothers were puzzled, including James and Jude, who later became believers, but his cousin as well. Anybody know who Jesus' cousin was? No? John the Baptist. Yes? John the Baptist was puzzled as well. And Herod had John the Baptist arrested and locked up, and John sent two of his disciples to Jesus and asked this question. To ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Even when he baptized Jesus, and the voice from heaven said, This is my truly beloved Son, in whom I am pleased, 
Still, John had a troubling mind. Now, at that time of John's troubling mind, Jesus was curing many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. The same question Jesus is asking today when we face the critics and the skeptics from the secular and religious world. Are you stumbling on account of me? This is a personalized question to each one of us today. We have to look at the evidence. John, go and tell John to look at the evidence, what's happening, messengers. And you know, for us today, you don't have to argue much. If you're living a life as Christ called us to live, that transformed life is a testimony of the evidence of Jesus, the things that the truth that he teaches and the truth declaims. The testimony of our lives. That's an evidence. Those in the crowd who were investigating believe he came from Nazareth in Galilee. It was commonly believed by the Jews of that day that when the Messiah comes, he would come suddenly, mysteriously, and in an unexpected way. Malachi 3.1, I didn't put it on the, on the screen. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. They weren't looking for a spiritual redeemer. They were looking for a military leader to overthrow the Roman rule. So they bypassed that. Now, contrary to the Old Testament, which predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, they had no idea that he would be born as a baby and grew up to be a man. They should have known from the Old Testament, Micah 5.2, which we all quote in the Christmas time, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from the old, from ancient times. It's all there. But it seems that they were quite ignorant of the details concerning the coming of the Messiah. That is why they said, when Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. So the people were divided. They were divided among themselves about the Messiah. Even the lone teachers were, weren't able to identify their cornerstone. Though they had studied the God-given blueprints for centuries. And in verse 28, if you're following along, while teaching in the courtyard temple, Jesus overheard a conversation and responded to what they were saying in verse 27. 
We know where he comes from. In other words, we know Joseph. We know Mary. We know his mother, his brothers, James and Jude, and the others. We know where he lives. We know what he does. He's a carpenter. Familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus repeated, I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. And then comes a devastating rebuke. Jesus said, You do not know him who sent me? And for the dung in 819, Jesus told him as well, his audience, responding to their question, when they ask, where is your father? He said, you do not know me or my father. If you know me, you would know my father also. What a rebuke. And this is devastating. This is a serious indictment against Orthodox Jews, for Jews prided themselves in knowing the true God of Israel. Jesus is saying to them, you got a problem. You have a problem. You do not know my father, therefore you don't know me. You don't have a clue because you are spiritually blinded of God's will. Can't you see? Look at the evidence. Look at what was prophesied. You're supposed to know the scripture, something you prided yourself on. But you missed the point. You think you know me with your limited earthly knowledge associating me with Joseph and Mary's home. But in reality, you do not know the God that sent me to rescue you. I normally tell people, know what you are rejecting when it comes to Jesus Christ. Because it has eternal consequences. Know what you're rejecting when it comes to Jesus Christ because it has eternal consequences. You see, church, Jesus is not just a good man or a prophet. He's more than that, as C.S. Lewis puts it. Quote, either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him, and you can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But not let us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He could not be a great prophet if he falsely claimed to be God. That will be the ultimate heresy. If you recall, when they took Jesus in the court when he was supposed to get crucified, and when the, the high priest asked Jesus a certain question, and Jesus answered, he tore his robe. Blasphemy! This man deserved death. He can't take it. So when people go about calling Jesus, he's just a good man, a good teacher, or a, or a prophet, that doesn't do it. He's more than that. That's just patronizing. Nonsense, as C.S. Lewis would put it. Jesus did not ask his disciples the question, who, or such, he did ask his disciples the question, who do people say I am? 
The disciples responded, People say you are John the Baptist, Elijah, and one of the prophets. But Jesus always points to the heart of each one of us. Jesus said to them, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And the same goes for us today. Jesus could not have been a good teacher, a prophet, if what he said about himself, that he and the Father is one, if that was not true, he couldn't say it. They called him demon-possessed, when in fact throughout his ministry, demon avoided him. Demon gave him the straight path. Demon kept out of his way. And even the demon declared Jesus' divinity as the Son of God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is exactly who he claimed to be. God in the flesh. He is the promised Messiah. And the evidences are all there up to this day. Especially the proof of our personal testimony of a transformed life. We're all witnesses of Jesus as he transformed our lives. You do not know God was a devastating indictment and a stunning rebuke, especially to the scribes and the Pharisees who were Israel's religious elite who had devoted their entire lives to study the Old Testament. They prided themselves on their knowledge of God, as the apostle wrote in Romans 9.4. Theirs is the adoption to the sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. The covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the feast you, you are celebrating, and the promises. Yet, despite all those privileges, you are woefully ignorant of the very God they so proudly profess to know and don't know. They're missing the Messiah. When the Messiah is right before them. In verse 29, again, Jesus boldly asserted that he not only knew the Father, but he was sent by him and therefore can make the claims in his teaching. He said to them, and he's saying that to anyone today, he was not simply born in the world like any other human being from all eternity he was equal in respect with God the Father and was sent to earth by the Father to accomplish the primary work of redemption the rescuing of sinners one can encounter the truth by examining the biblical evidence with certainty and not be divided by the conflicting presupposition about the Messiah. It's all there. The evidences will eliminate the cultic and false religious teaching that we normally hear around. This means that he existed before he was born. Not knowing him under his legal parents, but to know him as John describes him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Not without him was nothing made that he had made. Again in Philippians 2, 6. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used by his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is the Jesus the Bible talks about. That is the Jesus the Bible teaches us about. Verse 30. Based on Jesus' declaration, at this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Because his hour had not yet come. And even later on, as we go through John, you'll see the religious leaders ask the temple guards, when they sent him to arrest him, to, to seize him, why didn't you arrest him? Their reply was, no one ever spoke the way this man does. He spoke with authority. He spoke with authority. And verse 31 Many believed in him among a divided crowd. Now, convinced of Jesus' authenticity, comes a rhetorical question from those who believe. When the Messiah come, will he perform more signs than this man? You see, the pilgrims must have remembered the things that Jesus did. He turned water into wine at the wedding. The miraculous meal feeding thousands and thousands. The sick man at Bathsheba, Bathsheba pool. Healing lepers and all the miraculous signs Jesus performed. And in verse 32, as the religious leaders saw the pilgrims muttering, they became alarmed and distressed about Jesus' popularity. And they joined forces with their arch rival, the Sadducees. Isn't that how it works? They might have their differences, but when it comes to a common enemy, they're going to join hands. These two groups, these two groups historically were at opposite ends of the theological spectrum. Their mutual hatred for Jesus drove them together to send the temple guards to seize Jesus. And while some were prone to hail him, others sought to desperately to silence him. And the religious leaders, who should have been the first to recognize his authenticity, led the effort to have him eliminated, with the exception of Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and Joseph of Arimathea, who was from the Sanhedrin group. Both of them came to know the Lord, to believe in Jesus later on. Their heart were moving in the right direction. Now Jesus knew that his ministry is coming to an end in six months. There is the Feast of Tabernacle in October. Come in April, they're going to take him down. They're going to arrest him for Passover. Now trying to kill Jesus on their timetable will not work. 
Jesus' life is determined by the sovereign Father. And even our lives. In Psalm 139.16, all the days ordained for me, David is saying, were written in your book before one of them came to be. So Jesus' life is not determined by the is determined by the sovereign father and not by his enemies. And in, in John 10:18. Jesus speaking, no one takes my life from me. But I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay down and have the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. They're not going to take his life. He's going to have to give it up. They're messing with the wrong guy. He's not going to go down until the father said he's going to go down. With proper reasoning. And here comes the climax of the progression of this true episode in verse 33. Jesus said to them, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Church, listen to those words. They're profound words. Do you realize how profound those words are when it comes to our life, especially our eternal life? Those who, what Jesus is saying, those who reject him could never come to where he was going. There is such a thing as the passing of opportunity. Men have an opportunity to be saved today. And we all should learn from history. And in speaking to the Jews and an application for us today, in Hebrews 3.15, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. How do people react today when they hear about Jesus Christ? Do they just pass him off as a, a good teacher, as a prophet? Some are ignorant of the truth. Some are in denial of the truth. Some are disobedient of the truth. And they will not be able to enter because of their unbelief. The offer of salvation is being rejected. Now I know that's a hard thing I'm saying. But I'll show you something from scripture. The offer of salvation is being rejected. The apostle Paul reminds his people in 2 Corinthians 6.2. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you. And in the days of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. No one will live in the Father's kingdom who does not accept the Son. 1 John 5.12 
Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's very straightforward and simple. Jesus promised, I am the bread of life. So congregation, it boils down to this. This is what the back and forth argument between Jesus and the religious authorities and the pilgrims boils down to. People hear the gospel and do not make a personal decision. Ignorant of the truth, denial of the truth, and disobedient of the truth. Many people socialize around the Christian environment and would say, later, after I have accomplished my bucket list, then I will get serious with Jesus. Whether it's education, a career, financial freedom, just putting Jesus offer off. And I tell you something, when this is an attitude, when that attitude becomes part of a person's decision making towards Jesus Christ personally, the heart will become more and more callous and allow grace to pass by. Why do I say that? Well, I'm going to take it from Jesus. Jesus illustrated this in Matthew 25, 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is speaking, at that time, the kingdom of heaven would be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise one, however, took oil in the jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. That's the age of grace. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while, Jesus said, while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins, those who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. But the others, who were in the churches, those who eat the fish and the bread, those who believed Jesus was a good man, and a teacher and a prophet came banging at the door. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And you know what Jesus replied? I tell you the truth. I don't know you. That's serious enough? If that is not serious enough, what else is going to be? Some of you in this congregation today and some watching online... You don't know Jesus Christ. You have never made a personal decision. 
You just hold held on to he's a good teacher or he's a prophet or whatever. A personal decision is awaiting from each life. If not, the door will be shut forever. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. He repeats this over and over. Again in John 7, 36. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Because the door is shut. The foolish virgins, the pretenders, the pretenders allowed grace to pass by when the offer was made. They treat the offer in a casual way. And when they come, when they become interested, hear me out folks, and when they become interested and ready, it was too late. Grace already passed by. What a tragedy. Today, if you hear his voice, the Bible says, do not let it pass by. The bread of life is relevant for eternal life. Some are casual in their way of being ignorant of the truth, denial of the truth, and disobedient of the truth. What people believe about Jesus has eternal consequences. We are free to make choices when it comes to Jesus, but we're not free to choose the consequences. God will do that. For God so loved the world, it is an individual choice. Everything Jesus said about himself is the truth and can be trusted. He is indeed the bread of life. He is the Messiah promised by God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, help us as your people to hold on to the very basic and foundational truth that Scripture provides. We are living in the days where people fumbled with your truth. We pray, Heavenly Father, and ask, help us not to compromise who you are, but to proclaim who you are. So, Father, we ask you to help us along to keep the basic and foundational truth of what the Scripture teaches. And help us to live a life as a testimony that Jesus did transform our lives. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.